Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Park Report podcast. A very cool episode here. As you can see, we have a few uh, extra guests uh, along with us, the expanded crew. Uh, but I want to first welcome our esteemed guest from Life Signs, uh, John Young. How are you, sir? Very good. And a pleasure to be here and uh, honored by the turnout. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, let's uh, let's introduce everybody else here. We have Jeff Bailey. Uh, as you're looking at this, he would be to my that way. And yeah, then we have uh, <laughs> Daniel Levy wearing the Opeth hey shirt. Uh, and on the bottom, here. we have Prognick. And uh, you guys have all uh, seen these guys before. And, and uh, we've had different variations. But uh, we, you know, we thought for this topic, um, which is uh, lyrics in progressive rock, we wanted to bring on as many people with strong opinions, um, which we're going to get into in the second half of this. But first, uh, we want to talk to John about his new album with Life Signs, Altitude, um, which is available now if you were part of the uh, crowdfunding uh, campaign, I believe. Uh, it's been sent out to, to some people. Um, but John, I just, you know, before we get started talking about the new album, for those not familiar with the band, maybe, or not familiar with the history, um, you know, I thought it'd be a good place to start to talk about the history of life signs and, and how it began and uh, and the journey to where you are. Yeah, I, I hate to disappoint you, but the, the beginning of life signs is probably um, not that special. Um, <laughs> it was a, it was a bet in a pub. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's a good story. So basically, uh, this was back in the sort of mid two thousands. Um, we were having a conversation much like this, really, where. I said I didn't think there was enough enough at the time. I didn't feel there was enough depth and substance in progressive music um, as there had been, and um, I felt it, it it needed a bit of a kick. And um, so we had the gauntlet laid down, where somebody said, "Well, if you think you can do better," <laughs> so um, that was that was enough really. That got us started. And um, I'd had a band called the John Young Band, uh, which used to outnumber the audience on on regular occasions. <laughs> and uh, so from that we built um we built life signs uh initially with frosty nick beggs um i can see his house from my house so um it was a natural that we worked together we're very good friends um and that kind of gave us the first album with lots of guests and i have to say we were very lucky because nobody turned us down everybody wanted to be on the record and the record finally came out in 2013 um by which time there were quite a few bands that were actually very good at making good prog. So I was completely wrong about that. Um, but um, it's been it's been very fluid because we all have day jobs working for, should we say, established artists. And um, I mean, for instance, you know, Nick at the time was working with Stephen Wilson, Steve Hackett. So to get five minutes with him was was always very good. So right. that's been the same for all of us, and it's been very fluid um, through the years. But I suppose the two things that have remained constant well three things up until last year with frosty but um that changed last year and now myself and steve are probably the the two people that have been in it from the beginning and steve is the sound engineer which a lot of people find very unusual in a band but he's he's the producer of our records and he's one of the things that makes this, the beautiful sound that we make and um so we've been very lucky and um when frosty decided to go um Dave Bainbridge, who plays guitar with us, called me and said uh, he knew this drummer called Zoltan, although he'd never met him. 
uh, from the Flower Kings and mm. um, thought he'd be good for the band. Um, John, oh, sorry, I, I missed out John Paul there. John's been in since day one when Nick stopped. So um, as I say, it's, it's a fluid lineup, but we've tried to keep, and I think Nick can back me up on this, as best we can, uh, a certain um, sound that is a life science sound. And, uh, and I think we've captured that. The first album was quite proggy. The second album was a mix. And this third album is a mix even further with elements of jazz fusion. I know a few people have compared yeah. us to UK and some people have even compared us to Steely Dan, which we take great compliments from both ends really. You know, it's, it's wonderful. So I'm hoping that we are delivering as we plan to. And that's, sorry, a very long <laughs> drawn out story of the band, but there we go. Yeah. Well, John, John, many, many, many congratulations. I, I had the honor of, um, of writing the prog report review of altitude and um I, I can assure you that it's still it still is on repeat play in my household every day i absolutely love it and i i, I don't think um much more can be said than what i said in the review but um roy has asked me to to ask you about uh, a little bit about your history because um uh, not everyone knows the breadth and scope of artists and and composers that you've worked with um, all across the spectrum from pop all the way to very deep prog. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about your own personal musical history, who you've worked with in the past? Um, well, it's been quite a ride, as you well know. Um, I think the, probably the easiest way to sum it up in terms of, um, I did a gig supporting the humans with Robert Fripp and Toya some years ago. And, uh, mm. Robert stopped and listened to my sound check. And at the end of my sound check, he came up and said, I'm Robert Fripp, we should talk. I said, great, <laughs> I'd never met him until that point. And, he, and at the end of our conversation, which was over an hour, he said to me, um, you know, John, your only problem? I said, what's that? He said, you were born five years too late. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, statement because I think for a lot of the people that I work with, like Dave Kilminster, who's now working with Roger Waters, you know, we all ended up working for other artists. So we were never really, you know, if, if we went to a record company, if I was working with Quango or Asia or John Wetton or all those people, you know, sometimes the record company guy would turn up and you go, oh, I've also got this that I've written, you know, and they'd go, no, sorry, not interested. Thank you, but just get back on stage with you guys, you know. So it was um, on, one, on one side, it was a wonderful career because you got so many opportunities to work with brilliant bands. Um, without meaning to drone on, and I really could for hours because of the amount of, I've been very fortunate to work with some great people. It all really started with an advert in the Melody Maker. I applied to um, a keyboard player required for World Tour and it was Uli Roth from the Scorpions. And so I applied and, um, <laughs> and there was this room full of guys from, from Berkeley and, and me, you know, and I, so I went in and, um, <laughs> uh, so we started, he said, I want, he said, I'm going to, to play and I'm going to change, um, he said, I'm, I'm going to change key constantly and, and change the vibe constantly. And I need you to follow with the correct transitions into the next key. And then as soon as you've caught me up, I'm gone again. <laughs> so I thought this was a bit difficult. So um, I, I, I did what I could. And at the end of it, I just put my hands in the air. I said, I'm sorry, I can't do this. And um, he said, well, you lasted longer than anybody else. <laughs> uh, at which point I said, where's the sustain pedal? And he said to me, you did it without the sustain pedal. I said, yeah, he said, you've got the gig. 
that was it. <laughs> so it was brilliant for me because as a, as a keyboard player, he made me double his guitar solos. And so that gave me some idea of the inflection of playing the guitar. And um, then I went on to work for a number of other people, I worked for the MTV band in London. John Wetton came along as a guest and I didn't even speak to him. And I was just too, I mean, I was a big fan. I loved UK, I loved all that stuff. Um, and uh, I got a call on the Monday from uh, somebody who worked in his office and they said, have you heard of a band called Asia? And I said, yeah, he said, well, you start Monday. And that was it. <laughs> so um, and I've been Amazing. very lucky, That's kind of how it's worked all the way through. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate to work with Bonnie Tyler for the last 27 years. I worked with Paul Rogers, Scorpions. I mean, it's all name dropping, isn't it? I'm sorry, but uh, it's been a very varied. It's been a very varied and somewhat checkered career, um, and I've loved I've loved every second of it. But it's so good after all these years to be doing something uh, um, that that we create. You know, and that's that's really the important part now. After all this, that's amazing. Great. Thank you, and jo John. Um, um, I've really been enjoying the album as well and um, yeah really great and whenever um, R Roy had messaged me and he said you have to check out the track The Last One Home I was mm. like right I have a feeling I've heard that song and I, I dug I dug through and in fact I, f I found my copy of the Congo <laughs> album yeah and said I'm pretty sure that I've known that song for about 20 years maybe and in fact I have a vague memory as well of and I don't know who I have a feeling of seeing you live somewhere in Belfast, probably playing support to someone and playing that song as part of the set. And I, I mean, I have right. no idea. I mean, at some point in the last 20 years. Um, I, can, I can remind you, it was Midge Yule. Was it Midge, right? Okay, wow. no, that would have been me. Yeah, yeah, no, I would have been there for sure. Yeah, so that that's totally, that's, that's totally amazing. When, when it was. Um, but I suppose it's, it's, it's interesting. And I'm also a big fan of Dave Brainbridge, so delighted to hear him playing on the album but can you tell us a little bit a bit about that song because that was that was one that was co-written with john wetton was it um no i i wrote the song um okay. but we used it with quango john in fact it started funnily enough with asia we were rehearsing down at barrymore barlow's place and um john said to me one evening we've actually we'd actually like to make the set a bit longer but we've run out of tunes um so could you come up with something and that was the first time he'd ever asked me to do that and um, so I came up with a number of things overnight, um, of which the last one home was kind of the basis of it. And Archangel came from there as well. Uh, so there were a few things and John really liked it. Uh, so we did some stuff uh, on the Asia gigs and I can't remember exactly what we used from that for Asia, but I, I suppose that then stayed in the back of John's mind. And then we did Battle Lines. We did the, the, that album that he did in the mid nineties and then our, um, the Archangel album. And then when we came to Quango, he said to me, could we use Last One Home for that? So I said, yes. So um, that was where it kind of came to the, the fore, so to speak, but it had already been on a solo album of mine some years earlier. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, had done the pub circuit in London to three people and a dog. But <laughs> and so, so what, what prompted you to bring it yeah. back then? Um, really, um, I mean, the whole thing with life science is because we're, we're all good friends. You know, that's the whole thing. I say we're all good friends. We've not even met Zoltan yet. I've got to be honest. So, um, <laughs> but, um, but boy, what a brilliant job he did. Um, but yes, we, we, we're good friends. And, and so generally everything goes out uh, with regards to if we make a decision, it's usually something communal. 
And um, so when we were working towards the last tour, which we did just before lockdown, um, uh, we decided that um, aside from Gregarious, which is a brand new number, which is on the album, we'd also do Last One Home and uh, we'd also do uh, Ivory Tower. So all those songs snuck into the set so we could try them out with an audience before we knew they were going on the record. And then the big three, Altitude, Shoreline and Fortitude all went on afterwards. So that was the way that it worked out. So it's, it's a very, it's community driven. <laughs> um, John, uh, speaking of community uh, driven, uh, Roy mentioned it a bit earlier, but you had the crowdfunding campaign before, uh, behind the Altitude album. Would you mind speaking a little bit about how it came together, how it was working with like this new age of producing music? Yeah. all these different platforms um well i think all i can say really is that um it, it, it's it's truly um the way forward um for us it's been an absolute godsend and i have to say that the people that we've been working with sorry i'm just plugging my little speaker in here while we go um <laughs> the people that i've been working with um been wonderful right from day one right from the the, the second album basically it was the dvd we crowdfunded and we crowdfunded um the second record and um we gradually built the people from there and then some people said to us well you're like the new marillion aren't you <laughs> right. and I, I said well no they came up with the idea absolutely and what a what a great idea to involve the community but if you look back going to what we were talking about before when i was involved in bands like asia and stuff like that there was a big distance between the the the, the performers and the crowd so quite often, you know, we would come off stage and we'd run for the bus. You know, you wouldn't speak to anybody, you wouldn't sign anything, you wouldn't do anything. It was like, you know, that's kind of how they'd worked in the 70s. And I remember after about two or three shows, I remember I turned around to the guys and said, you know what, you get on the bus, you go back to your hotel rooms, I'm going to go and stand in the bar and talk to some people, you know. And I, I've always had that approach because with a lot of the work I do myself, it's always based around, you know, creating a relationship so we did this with with life signs we gradually built a very strong core of people and now that core of people we can go back to and say well we've got something else we've got this so we also looked at the problems in the industry now with streaming with everything else with with artists not receiving the money they should do for the work that they do um and obviously you know the crisis <laughs> before covid it was like well okay they're streaming but you can still play live right okay yeah so let's just take that out of the, of the equation so it's been very very difficult so it was almost a perfect storm for us because we as nick knows we you know we we have a very strong core and they got right behind us straight away with the record and it's not just that we actually thought well what's what's our music worth you know so if you look at a cd a cd if it had gone, if inflation had kicked in in the music industry, a CD would now be forty-six pounds fifty. You know, so CDs were all nine pounds ninety-nine. So really, it was almost like musicians and writers and, and composers, bands hadn't caught up with inflation. So we said, you know what? We think we're worth it. We think the record is worth twenty pounds. We think people will pay that. And if anybody comes to you and says, well, I'm not paying that, so well, don't buy it then. You know, it's got to be worth it. So you have to be worth your product. And this is something we put forward. And with things like Spotify, we've gone into those and we've gone, right, what we need to do is put four tracks on there 
we even put uh, where you can buy the record from on the four tracks on Spotify. You know, we just put samples out there so people can listen to the samples. And if you're good enough, they'll come to you or to Amazon. Vinyl, we can sell everywhere. It's not a problem. But, you know, you have to guard your product. And I think the problem is it's all been given away too easily. And so the, the beauty of, of the model that we're now working under is that we can survive, you know? Well, that's great. I mean, that's, that's an amazing job. I have to just revisit uh, the new album again, too, because I'm, I'm just in love with this album. Uh, <laughs> I, I am. And the, the title track, I want to focus on that one and ask you about it a little bit, because that's the one that, that I particularly can't get out of my head. Because um, when I was first listening to it, I was messaging these guys and I'm like, the nine minute part, the another world part, this is like <laughs> blowing my mind. You have to listen to this part. And I just kept bothering them. Like, so uh, I just want to ask you about that song, the, you know, the, the story behind it and, and what that song means and, and, uh, and how you write something that epic. It's a good question. I mean, Nick knows how I work, I think, but um, it may, it may take a little lateral thinking to an extent. Um, Firstly, with, with things like the Another World part, that's just something that comes naturally uh, from working with people like John Wetton uh, and that kind of thing. They knew how to do a chord change, you know, and they knew how to, you know, they knew how to change keys and bring you with them. And it was something that was inherent in the way that I learned music over the years. Um, but with regards to the song itself, um, the first part, the, the piano section had been written for, for a little while. And then it was a question of what was everything else going to be and um, I, I write in a very odd sort of way I write through a thing called channeling so I, I just block everything out and this stuff just comes uh, I have no control over it it just comes out of the hands the lyrics come at the same time everything just turns up so initially my thought was that the beginning of it was about the joy of flying and the beauty of altitude and looking down on the world and then all of a sudden this lyric came in target destroyed and i was like whoa where did that come from you know and uh, so where are we going with this you know and then in my head strangely enough the thing that came into my head straight away was the idea of a guy flying a drone you know killing people remotely from very very far away and then finishing his job like it was a normal day job and then going and buying a burger you know wow and, um the weirdest thing was that a couple of weeks ago i watched a program on netflix a film where that exact sequence happened, you know. Now I'd not seen the film; I had no idea. But somebody actually did exactly that. They they killed a bunch of people. Do you remember the name of the film? So we can. Uh, watch wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> it's wasn't it? it that's that show. Oh my God! I know. I know exactly what you're talking about because I've seen it. I don't know. It might be the Jack Ryan thing or something. The, the Jack know. Ryan show. Yes, I forget. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I was just amazed that this whole thing that I'd visualized in my head was there on a screen. You know. But the idea then behind the rest of it was, because I'm very, I believe in peace. I believe, I used to do this thing where I toured the States just on my own. And um, I have a song called Unknown Soldier, which is about the First World War, which may go on the next record. We're, we're looking at that at the moment. And again, it's 15 minutes. Um, but it's, it's about the futility of, of um, you know, World War One in particular. And so when I used to play it to audiences, I used to say, well, you know, here in California, this is where you created no smoking, you know, 
And they'd go, yeah. And I said, now you can't even smoke outside. And now you can't do this. I don't smoke. So it makes no difference to me. But I said, it's brilliantly done. And it stops people from, you know, getting cancer from, you know, from other people's cigarettes, et cetera, et cetera. I said, but if you think about it, shouldn't we start with guns and work towards not smoking rather than starting with not smoking and then go on from there? So this is a concept that a lot of people found very difficult. But I think altitude kind of carries that on. It's about, you know, killing people remotely. What does that do to your conscience? What does that do to your psyche? Um, and shouldn't we really be trying to aim for peace? And, and you know, and, and all the things that we dreamed of back in the 60s and 70s, you know, shouldn't those things be of some importance now? You know, that, I, I well, that's, be, I think I that really, <laughs> that really plays into part of the topic of, uh, of what we wanted to talk about, which is lyrics in Prague. <laughs> And, nice and <laughs> yeah, and, and how important are they to some people versus others and or particularly to the artist and uh, and what role they play? Because some we get into a debate between the group of us a lot uh, about whether we like a song or not. And then one of us might say, oh, but I love that song. The lyrics are great. And then another one might say, I didn't even know what the lyrics were. I didn't pay attention. And so uh now that you mentioned what that song is about, which I missed, but uh, that that changes. <laughs> that's such a beautiful song. <laughs> yeah. It's a new meaning, right? It, it, gives it really makes it uh, uh, gives it a different vibe. So you didn't hear just, the line "Target Destroyed," right? <laughs> I heard that line, but I didn't. Okay, so just pulling it for me, right? That song. I'm I'm sort of in the middle with lyrics. I like them. I do listen to them. They don't determine whether I like a song or not necessarily, whereas it might for some people versus others. Um, they may ruin a song, which is a whole nother thing. Mm. But um, uh, but for me, this song hits me uh, emotionally, especially when it builds and builds and builds. And then you get to that uh, release with the Another World part, which is just my maybe my favorite musical moment so far this year and uh and so that's where the focus of the song is for me um so i'm curious with you as a as a writer um you said this sort of came to you as you know target destroyed and that drove the song in a direction how often is is something like is your music lyric driven like that directly or do, do you know, or, or do you worry more about the music and the notes for you personally? Neither, really, um, strangely enough. But I'm probably the wrong person to ask in, in some respects because, because I do this, this channeling thing. And believe me, I've looked it up on, I've seen the TEDx lectures. I've seen all the, the various things that, you know, that I, you know, I don't want to take it too far out, but I, it, it, is a, it is a very interesting phenomenon. And as such, um, when, when music arrives, the lyrics arrive with it. And then it's up to me to kind of put it together afterwards. And the strange thing that I find is that a bit like you just said then, you didn't realize that was the, the, the basis behind the story. When, when, I, when I write a piece of music, I think, oh, it's about this then. <laughs> you know, I, I stand, right, fine. I think I've got that now. Thank you. Okay, now I understand that. Um, and then we play it or we record it or, or people listen to it and they say, oh, no, no, it's about this. 
you know so right. that's for me that's the beauty of the lyrics in life signs is that they can be anything you want them to be um they're not vague they're putting forward pointers they're trying to make the world a better place usually i mean our song about the at the end of the world is the happiest song you'll ever hear about the end of the world you know but it's i mean it's trying to put forward optimism and i think we do that constantly one of the things i've noticed since we released the album is um, which I find wonderful, and uh, you know, I'm thankful for it, is that people get in touch with us saying, this really helped me through a bad relationship. This really helped me with my cancer. This really helped me with getting out of hospital or getting over COVID or, or, or whatever. That's what music can do. Music can heal. The only stipulation we have, some people think, are, you know, the lyrics, it's a bit like listening to Yes lyrics, isn't it? You know, what do they mean? Ask John Anderson. <laughs> yeah. right. Um, right. But to an extent, some people listen to our lyrics and probably go, you know what, don't get that at all, which I completely understand. But it's kind of there for you to make of it what you will. We can give you an idea of what we think it's about, but it's kind of you to build the story and make the story in your head, which I think is much more fun. The only thing I would say is that for me, and one of the things we really concentrate on with Life Signs is that you can hear the words, mm. you know because with a lot of bands, it's very difficult. What, what did they say? You know, I mean, you try, right. you know, for instance, for me personally, with a lot of rap and hip hop, I, I, I have to ask people, you know, so, so <laughs> what, what did he say? <laughs> yeah. right. So, um, so I think it is important to hear thing, to hear what it is, but um, yeah, that's, whether the, that's interesting because as someone whose English is not the mother tongue, uh, tongue um, it was very hard to, for me to develop like the listening habit of actually trying to hear the words, right? The natural thing to me and to a lot of people like that I know is not to hear the words, to just like go with the song and you feel the vibe and you focus on the music rather than the lyrics. I know that's totally like reverse of, of like what Jeff thinks and he will speak about it later, I'm sure. But as I went on to appreciate progressive rock music and others, sorts of like more let's say delicate and more well constructed music i started appreciating uh, lyrics more and more and i think it's sort of a case by case basis right um, there's some that uh, that really work with me and some that i just don't care at all and some that yeah. i just forget to to look for the lyrics like overall mm -hmm. um you were talking about songs that change uh, a hard situation and stuff like that uh, there's an album that I, just like Roy has been with uh, this newest Life Science record, he's bugging us all the time, go listen to this album, go listen to this album. Uh, and I've been like that with an album that released last year called Rice Radiant. I've talked about it uh, on the podcast and stuff. And that's an album that really helped me last year, like through the pandemic. So I know that how much lyrics can elevate the music so uh, if you ask me how important are they i land somewhere in the middle there uh but it's kind of a case-by-case -case thing mm. no yeah I, I, mean, I get that i think for me you know you can look at something like genesis for example you can when i first got into progressive rock music um i loved peter gabriel's lyrics i just thought they were brilliant you know um and you could kind of work on a similar way that you can with life signs with it where you could you could take what you wanted out of the lamb lies down on broadway but i found it made sense to me you know um but i do sometimes wonder you know with with yes for example uh, there seems to be 
it's a, it's, a, it's a stream of consciousness from John. And it's whether you're into that or not, whether it makes sense to you or it doesn't, you know. And I can un understand why it wouldn't to a lot of people. So um, I think you're right in saying, you know, each, each band has a different thing to offer. Um, with us, it's, it's a weird one. And we, we've chosen not to question it. But for example, with Cardington, it's all about airships and, and the R101 and everything else. It's very easy to follow. But I was, when I was writing it, I remember writing the end section and uh, it said about the sky being green. And, and I was, what does that mean? But of course, when I eventually walked away from the song and then looked at the song again, I realized if you're in an airship, you're looking down, <laughs> not up. Right. So, um, so, and I do think that, 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 you know, people who listen to music on a regular basis can often say to you something that you've missed as a writer, you know, which, which is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. I think with, uh, with Genesis, which you mentioned, something happened to me recently because I pulled out uh, the Duke record and that's an album that I always liked for, you know, the opening track, Duke's Travels, uh, Turn It On Again, some of the more proggy stuff. But I, I do like the whole thing. And one of the songs that I, I liked but wasn't really tuned into was uh, Please Don't Ask, which is the, the real ballad, uh, you know, on the second second side. And that happened to come on. And really, for the first time, I really focused on the lyrics of that. And I was like, oh, wow, I get it now. I get this song. Now he's actually talking to his wife about divorce and missing his kid and like the whole thing. And it hit me completely different, which mm. I complete, you know, complete accident. Maybe I just happened to, you know, I'm a lot older now than when I first listened to the record, you know, that kind of that kind of subject matter might have been lost on me as a teenager. Right. So. <laughs> That song was one of the batch that he wrote that in the air tonight and all the stuff. From yeah, the first yeah, it makes sense. Came out of, but it was it was one of the ones that Genesis picked out, and they always say they, I think they 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 claim that they never heard in the air tonight. Otherwise, right. they would have they would have lifted it. I, I was doing a little bit of a scribble before, trying to think about sort of even thinking about progressive rock and the different sort of styles. Uh, John referred to yes, and you know. Uh, You've probably heard people have alluded you know i'm more likely to be the person in our group who will comment on the words of something first um yeah i'm a huge yes fan and i think john anderson's lyrics they don't necessarily mostly mean anything to me <laughs> but you go how can you imagine those songs without you know sharp distance uh you know awaken, awaken gentle mass <laughs> <Right>. touch <laughs> you know but but you go how, how could that song be anything apart from apart from that and, high and it, vibration go on yeah um and uh, you know so there's that you've then got sort of i'd written down king crimson and probably you know the the 70s stuff which was more that kind of i suppose i would call it elp type lyric into then yeah, the 80s and you ch you change it to Adrian Ballou writing the lyrics, who's writing funny, observational, you know, quite sort of crazy stuff. You've got probably a sort of badge together, Pink Floyd and Jethro Tull, probably to, uh, sweeping generalization, but I suppose elements of sort of observation, social commentary, possibly some satire, certainly more more sort of of a wink in the eye with Ian Anderson than maybe with Roger Waters. Um, and, and then, um, you know, the historic uh, 
the narrative type stuff that uh, a modern band like Big Big Train doing stuff that is very deliberately, you know, the story of a Greek god or the story of a train or the story of something. Um, and then the other one I had written down was about Marillion, maybe, and, you know, who who probably touch more on things like relationships and life in general. Um, you know, so, so there's a whole lot of bands that are underneath the bracket, but actually approach it in in hugely different ways but but i really i really take the, the point there of about um i think a really great lyric is one that can mean lots of different things to lots of different people um and i think that's you know that's part of the you know the it must it must be the uh, really interesting as a writer to let something go and then someone come and say well this is what this meant to me and on the one hand you're probably going that never would have occurred to me and yet we know that that is the power of the combination of music and words that can speak to people in ways that a writer could never imagine a band could never imagine for for me the for me the my favorite lyricists are tend to be the more um pop rock guys actually than in progressive rock i've found um i you know sting is one of my favorite lyricists um uh, Paul McCartney, of course, for for kind of the quirkiness, which I always liked. Bruce Springsteen. One of my favorites is Nick Kershaw, who I talk about all the time. But I think he writes the most clever lyrics of anybody. Uh, they're they're always sarcastic and they take a different approach. And uh, I've I've interviewed him before a couple of times, and I quote back lyrics to him. And uh, one, for example, was. Um, he says in a song, if you leave me, can I come to, you know, something like that. I always, there's little lines that I can pick out that doesn't happen to me very often, but, but I like his a lot. Um, if I'm looking at progressive rock, um, Neil Peart, obviously, but I like some of the later stuff as opposed to the early rush things for me. Um, I think the eighties and nineties lyrics I thought were much more interesting and relatable um and then neil morse i like for the spock's beard era mostly i i like those lyrics better than what he writes now not that they're bad but they just i thought were more resonate as much more i like when he when i like silly i like i like different i like quirky things like that and in the first in the light where he says you know i'm senior velasco i drink my milk with tabasco things like that i like lyrics like that (laughs) those are the lyrics that jump out to me that i remember for whatever reason i so, mean so you I, must how like, are you guys with some different lyrics you must like gibberish roy because uh, <laughs> it, it's clever you know, i like it's, the, it's i like the clever the song I, gibberish or gibberish in general the song. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that whole period of of that was an interesting time for me lyrically it was just stuff that i remembered and it's and it it's silly stuff that doesn't necessarily have to mean anything i just find yeah. it interesting I think I say, words, oh, sorry, words go are, ahead. Sorry, words are an interesting thing, aren't they? Because I think we're spoiled being English to start off with, because you know, the amount of comedy that's come out of England, the amount of you know, wit, satire, you know, I mean it's just it's endless. So, you know, there are some particularly good um narratives in the, you know, but if you look at Monty Python, for example, you know, I mean, personally, I think, you know, if, if the world ever does end, then there should just be a couple of a copy of the life of Brian left, you know, right. probably 
I mean, because they're also they're almost like prophets in the way they've 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 seen many things. So there is an element of humour in 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 England and in America. There's the, 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 there are two completely distinct elements, uh, humour-wise, which are brilliant, absolutely brilliant. You know, and if you look at Zappa, you know, I mean, yes, ninety percent of it's probably politically incorrect now, but you know incredible ly lyricist you know incredible the way he would move things on and then change the lyrics in the middle of a number and make and, and make the band all laugh you know so i think um lyrics are a really difficult thing i remember when we had a band in the early in, in well in the early 90s and uh, late 80s early 90s we couldn't write a lyric to save our lives you know um this is only something that's come to me in more recent times and also i have to say after you know, troubled periods of your life and stuff like that, you suddenly reach into something that you didn't have before. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at, you were talking about pop before. Yeah, fine, some great writers there. And I agree with you about the Beatles and stuff. I think, wonderful. And then people like, you know, um, Joni Mitchell, you know, Bob Dylan, that kind of thing. Yeah. These are poets, you know. So um, to an extent, I, th I think it's, you know, or the, at least some of the music they do. So. You know, it's it is a real gift, and I think um, I, I'm not saying I do agree that to an extent, prog is is probably more to to most people about the music than it is about the lyrics. But it doesn't mean the lyrics should be ignored. You know, for me, sure. it was always a, a journey, and it, and really, the, the importance of lyrics has been a journey. When I was growing up. I really did not care what they were singing about as long as this was progressive, funny time signatures, weird chord progressions and so on. At least I told myself I didn't care. And yet I found myself in my youth thinking, ah, the greatest lyricist in the world is one Gerald Bostock, whose masterpiece <laughs> was Thick Brick, of course. <laughs> Just going to John's point about the humor, you know. I mean, I loved what, what Anderson did there. Um, but I really told myself all the way along, I don't care what they're thinking, what, what they're singing about, as long as I can hear Carl Palmer doing his thing, you know. Um, as, as long as it's not shake your booty, baby. I, I told myself I didn't care. But as the years have gone on, I, I found myself even even looking back to, to the music that was important to me in my youth, Lamb, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, John mentioned. Um, Carpet Crawl is one, of, is, is one of my favorite songs of all time. Honestly, the whole concept of, of rail getting lost in the, in, in the sewers of New York and so on really was just lost on me. The whole thing was lost on me. And I've got to say, it probably still is, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I cannot imagine that beautiful song with any other words, without the, you got to get him to get out, without the mild-mannered Superman held in kryptonite. It just wouldn't work if those weren't the lyrics. And maybe it's a historical thing. The liquid uh, has congealed. The liquid has congealed. I mean, just spine tingling, you know. And I, I kept telling myself, it was not the lyrics, it was the music. But as I look back on it, I realize that, you know, I was, I was probably mistaken. I mean, would Aqualung be Aqualung without that sitting on a park bench? So I've been ambivalent about it. But the more I look back, the more I think about the songs that were important to me, Deep Purple's When a Blind Man Cries and um, some of Fisher's stuff, Sugar, Sugar Mice and Raw Meat in particular, I mean, the lyrics are important, there's no doubt, but I had to take decades to realize that. 
Well, I spent ten, I spent 10 or more years when I was younger listening to Kiss, you know, and not realizing every single song was about sex. And yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, I actually said that to someone the other day and going, I remember listening to, and, you know, not understanding why my parents didn't like it. And then I realized you listened to it. And go, okay. They were hearing something that I wasn't I hearing i mean love gun for, you know you know well, was, I, I thought it was about 16. a gun like i had no idea what he's talking about christine 16 was the one that, that i remember listening to recently <laughs> right oh, okay wow. i can understand why that might yeah in my scribbles i'd written a thing down that i was gonna that i was gonna test you on so i'm gonna read you the original lyrics of a song that i guarantee you you all know and i think this is one of these things that shows the difference so this is the lyric. the lyric is you don't want to go dancing you won't even answer the phone you're so scared of romancing everything you do is alone now does anybody know what that was the original words to so i feel like the, i feel like saying so the kinks go dancing but the, I, pro I, the producer really really liked the track and he really liked the lyric and he really liked the chorus and he said that's a hit chorus but you've got to change you've got to change the verses so the producer rewrote the verses and then a singer was added to the band and the singer didn't like the lyrics <laughs> and so he changed some more of them so the producer was trevor horn the singer who came along late in the day was John Anderson. So those were the original. That was the original verse of "Owner of a Lonely Heart," oh, right? <laughs> and it was, and it was that American hard rock, hard rock type, you know, thing. And then apparently, the the funny story is that Trevor Horn didn't really like some of the words that John Anderson rewrote, particularly the line about, you know, the "Watch it now, the eagle in the sky." They're like, you know, what's the eagle in the sky? So if you listen to the recording. They put a shotgun sound at the end of that line. So it goes, watch it now. The eagle in the sky. Tommy dances one and only. Do, 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 do. There's a gunshot. And Trevor Horn says, that was us sh sh shooting John Anderson's eagle. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I had I, no I, idea, my, yeah. my point of this is lyrics kind of so much depth and can polarize, you know. Uh, I mean, could you imagine Owner of a Lonely Heart, you know, without the words that that it's got. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's, that could have been a, uh, a point where a lyric could have ruined a song and, and kept it from being a hit because. Um, but amazing that a you know, that Trevor Horn listened to this demo with these kind of rock love lyrics and said, Oh, but that owner of a lonely heart, that's, that's the hook there. All the rest of it we can fix, but that, you know, I think, I think that's kind of, and I think that's that's where you know there there are there are things that just can stand out. And you know what you know, I mean, it's again, it's a, probably a line that just kind of stands out and kind of hits you somehow. So. Yeah, it's uh, that thing again, isn't it? About um, I mean, I I consider that I'm a songwriter, but I've never actually had a track played on the BBC, for example. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so you know, people might like what I do. But as I work for a, you know, somebody who's had some of the biggest hits in the world with with Bonnie, you know, um, mm. they don't see it like that. They see, I, I think, a lot of people see it as it's only a hit if it's it's only it's only a good song if it's been a hit, you know. And that is a mentality you find throughout the industry, and that must be to an extent lyrically based, as you just pointed out, because mm. it's got to be something that sticks both musically and lyrically. 
Well, nowadays um, in, in pop music, you know, a lot of the bigger artists that, that are selling, you know, uh, that have a billion views on YouTube for a single or so like that, those are, those are songs now that are carefully constructed by like 10 writers. Yeah, and you'll, yeah. you'll see people, in those yeah. credits, it's groups of people that write and they, they come up with one word here and this, no, change this. And it, it's, it's not you sitting there channeling and there's a, a lot of psychology lyrics, involved know. too right because you know what resonates with a particular group of people that you're targeting and you want to sell the song to right so you see what's trending what what they like what they want to hear oh without doubt like that. I mean, yeah. from my own experience I, I, i've only dabbled in in pop you know i mean i, I actually got involved in an album which was for a guy called lucio battisti which is an electronic album uh, which which did really well in Italy. And I didn't realize he was like the Bob Dylan of Italy and he was doing this Electronica album and it was going to be massive. And I'd never met the guy. I didn't know who he was, you know. <laughs> um, but yet he's adored in, in that country. So the thing is that whatever he did, other people wanted to do. And I spoke to a friend of mine who was a guitarist who said that it was, it even got to the stage in London when, you know, like Kylie would have a hit back in the, you know, in 20 years ago or whatever. And they'd go into the studio and the, the guy would say, right, I need you to now copy that um, guitar solo. You know? So he'd do something similar. And then say, no, I need it to be nearly the same, just so <laughs> they could have a hit that had already been a hit. So I think to an extent, the whole thing about, as you said, about trending, that's, that's immense now because it's about the influencers. It's about, you know, the people, it's about following fashion. And that's yeah. what popular music has become that. And so to an extent, you know, the music that, that we're talking about here that we enjoy is almost separate to the music business. You know, it is. <laughs> yeah. point. Having said it, that, it, it's all about quality at the end of the day. You know, let's go back to altitude and I'll use an example of this. There are millions and millions and millions of songs written about love and heartbreak and broken relationships and broken trust. And yet on the latest Life Signs album, there's a completely different treatment of the issue of love and broken trust in Ivory Tower. Um, and it's, I guess what I'm saying is it's the way you treat those lyrics. It's the, it's the cerebral and emotional treatment that you give them, which has the result. And that's why it speaks to us. And it speaks to us, not just as prog fans, but as fans of quality music. The next pop song might also be about broken trust. And it might be about a massive, you know, by a massive pop star, uh, and 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 be streamed hundreds of millions of times, but it doesn't have the same effect because it's not dealt with, approached in that cerebral, emotional, heartfelt way. And really, I've got to mention Ivory Tower as 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 a song that does that exactly that. Yeah, it's it's a difficult one, Nick, because to an extent, it's one of those things that that with the music we love, you can't really say. I mean, because of the po political correctness in the world as it stands. I mean, saying cerebral and intelligent music is, is, is definitely a no-no, you know, because that isn't allowed. You know, you, I, we, we, can't, we can't say it to a, a newspaper, we couldn't say it, you know. I mean, the idea, from our point of view, I think music has dumbed down immensely, but you, you know, you can't say these things. You, you, you aren't in a position to say these things. and. I think with the way that it works at the moment, you either do as we were just talking about, where you follow the trend completely and you go with it and you do exactly as you're told. But to me, that's like working in an office. 
doing a job yeah. that you do exactly the same thing every day. That doesn't involve your musical talents. If you went to Berkeley and you did all the, you know, and you learn everything and you then developed your own style, why would you want to be somebody else? You know, I don't really understand that. Mm -hmm. So the beauty that we have is that you can actually be yourself. And I think that's probably the way that I would have to phrase that because, you know, obviously we don't want to be ist about anything, but I think that it's really difficult because I would love people to hear what we do in the mainstream, mm -hmm. but that opportunity for, for ourselves and for all the other bands, you know, that, that play the music that we enjoy is very, very difficult. So you, you know, you can't even, we tried actually, we tried, I'm going slightly off tack here, but we tried, um, we actually got some pluggers involved last year to, to and we were massive on hospital radio, you know, <laughs> we didn't get any further than that, you know, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> because it breaks it's, my heart. <laughs> it's very difficult, you know, everything is such a closed shop now that. I, um, I, I often think that, I mean, uh, talking about Last One Home, I mean, I listen to that and go, to me, that's a song that sounds like it's a song that everybody should know. <laughs> you know, and by that, by that I mean, you know, it 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 sounds like a, you know, to me, it's it sounds as good as a wind beneath my wings or a some a something like that, you know, and and it's, it, I guess that's part of the thing in the business is, you know, you don't quite know, you know, what what hits and why one song, you know. No, you know, I, I think that's and, and another one doesn't. And I, I, I listen to that again. I listen to the new version of that and go and, you know, there are probably people out there who would absolutely, you know, love, love that song and connect with that song. And yet, how do you, how do you do that? We have, yeah. we have the internet, which gives us everything, but yet it gives you nothing. You know, mm. everything's in reach and yet nothing's in reach. You know, it's, it's this dichotomy of anyone can now record, you know, in their bedroom on GarageBand, they can upload it to um, uh, iTunes. They can sell it to people. Should anyone want to buy it, uh, and you can reach everybody, and uh, and yet, you know, only you know, uh, at the other extreme, reach nobody. You know, it's and it's amazing dilemma. And I so often with, even you know, with with some of the bands that I listen to, you sort of think, you know, if only other people could hear that song, but they kind of, you know, it's hard to get past the the label well, or press, it's just hard to get play. it into people's ears. Press yeah. play is probably one of the hardest things to do. I mean, I remember when I did one of those um, tours on my own up, up the West Coast and I arrived in Seattle and there was a little mini theatre there and uh, I was second on the bill and there was a guy that was a local guitarist who was on before me. He was really good and I really enjoyed it and the place was packed. And I thought they're going to love it, you know. And as I walked on, the audience left, you know. <laughs> and I, I said, I said, somebody, where, where are they going? They said, oh, they only pay for one act, and then about five people came in to watch it. You know? And I said, but they'd really like it, you know. And that's the thing, to an extent, from our point of view, especially things have now got harder. If you think about it, I mean, it's it's three thousand dollars a piece to get a visa to go to America, you know. So where do you start to make enough money to be able to do this, to be able to bring the music? To a whole other country that thinks it doesn't exist you know yeah. these are the difficulties and sprinkled throughout the country it's complicated yeah yeah i mean you know i'd love to sort of you know put life signs in front of a yes audience for a tour in the way that it used to happen right but that really isn't a chance there was a great thing um when i was working with john wetton and this is 20 years ago now um i released an album called significance um which is a solo album and uh 
very lyrically driven, just to get back to the point, sorry, but, but very lyrically <laughs> driven. And I took it into the same record company that John was using at the time in London. And I was ready for a fight. You know, I was ready to write, this is a great album, you know, and if you're going to throw me out after the first couple of verses, I'm going to be really annoyed and you know, kick up a fuss. And so I went in and the guy listened to the first track then he listened to the second track, then he ordered tea and biscuits, and then he listened to the entire album. And he said to me, you know what, John? He said, that's the best thing that's come in here in two or three years. He said, I can't help you. He said, you will be massive, but just not in your lifetime. There you go. Dude, depressing. Well, <laughs> I guess that's a compliment. <laughs> wow, we, yeah. we both both loved we both loved but the thing is i think that applies to an enormous amount of people at the moment you know there's, yeah, there's talent that i keep i keep seeing talent i keep seeing unearthing youngsters you know some great new bands coming through but you look on some of the prog sites and they're just totally devoted to what's gone before you know trying to get into their psyche to say have a listen to this it's amazing you know um, yeah i the think girl who, there's enough good music now that it rivals the decades before in in my opinion and um when you hear people say really? rock is dead or there's no good bands it's it's really you're, you're just not listening you're just not listening yeah. you're just not listening and and that is tough i mean we try and get the message out about as many bands like yours like yours as well and you know to as many people and hopefully that helps a little bit to some degree oh for sure <laughs> but, um yeah. But yeah, no, it's definitely it's definitely a challenge. And whether or not um, having a hit single would even move the needle enough by if it was by one artist in this genre or not is 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 also a question. Um, you know, Stephen Wilson continues to move into Without this doubt. field a little bit, but does that help bands like Life Signs if he has more success? And I. Who, who you know who knows the answer well, to I, that. I still think it's difficult for Stephen I mean you know I, I vaguely know Stephen through Nick and um you know I think he's up against it you know even with the power of the record company behind him it's not easy because we've tried to get into that area and, and I know that they have a lot more power to do that than, than we do but it's it's like a closed shop the whole you know chart thing radio mainstream radio mainstream yeah. media you know, it's just they don't want to have anything to do with it if they can possibly. Avoid well, because it. they're so, yeah. they're vying for streams and they're not of about course. to give yeah. they're not about yeah. to give that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's the way it works. Yeah. Um, and, and and you know what? In 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 a weird way, that does tie into this topic of lyrics, but in a different perspective. Um, in that, to make that breakthrough into uh, pop and to hits and stuff. Do you need to dumb down the lyrics and make them more generic versus uh, just writing what you feel like writing about that in, in a 15 minute song, no less, that can be about anything. Um, and you might not have that freedom in the mm. pop world. I, th I, think, I think that's, sorry. No, go ahead, John, sorry. Um, just just to, to sort of dot I's and cross T's. Um, one of the things that's occurred to me is that we, the music that we enjoy, and it's very, there's a very widespread there, lives outside of the system. It lives outside of the music business. It lives outside of mainstream radio, television, press, 
Um, yeah, we have Prog Magazine, we have uh, you know people like yourselves. But in general, it's impossible to do that. Now, it seems to me somehow that someone is missing a trick here because the amount of people that would love what we're talking about is massive. But Indeed. Yeah. they're not getting the opportunity to listen to something that will broaden their horizon. I'll give you an example. Um, obviously, first of all, we could say about all the people that live in the States that were brought up on Yes, Genesis, Rush, you name it, um, but think it stopped. And if you look at radio stations in the States, there'll be a Brian Adams radio station, you know, there'll be a, a Rush radio station, but there won't be anything that concentrates on here's some new stuff. You know, it's about selling and it's about the algorithms that do that. Now, take it to a different side. When we were doing some shows last year, we played in Manchester. And when we finished, and the place was pretty packed, which was great. When we finished uh, in this club, a DJ was coming in and the kids were coming in to have the rest of the night. So about midnight, there's a changeover and whatever. Well, we were running late and <clears throat> they were fine with that. They said, it's okay. But the new bar staff came in and some of the, the youngsters came in who um, were ready for a good night of dancing. Great. So we're getting towards the end of our set and we could see them joining in, you know, and then when we finished the gig, they were pinning us against the wall. And this is the staff and the youngsters going, what is this? Yeah. What, what is it? You know, yeah. it's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spons, the overall, yeah. No, totally. That's... Yeah. The overall potential for the music if people had the access to it is just gigantic. It's pretty untapped i think and the the whole thing with lyrics like we, we yeah always go somewhere else and try to come back to lyrics but um, <laughs> sorry i i think no no it's our fault like as a group but um the the thing is it's, it's much like wine I, I won't pretend i know anything about wine because i barely drink uh but let's say you, you drink a glass of wine and in this case it's an analogy for the music the music side of music uh, besides lyrics and you like it you enjoy it um but then you, you invest some time into it and you start like reading the notes, um, you learn more about it and it, it gets better and better as you understand it more. So there's a lot of music that I have enjoyed that I loved already, but when I get, and Rush has a lot of it, like let's say Middletown Dreams, uh, one of my favorite Rush songs. Um, I loved it as it was. When you go and dive deep into the lyrics and you understand what it's about, and all the little nuances uh, in the words and stuff like that, then it, it really elevates and you, and you gain a, a new found appreciation for it, right? Uh, and stuff, it, it can be simple, like some songs about stories, like um, Iron Maiden has a lot of it, a bunch is, it, it, every album of theirs is pretty much a storybook you're just reading through and it tells stories about war and like Alexander the Great um, Symphony X has a song, uh, a great classic about the Odyssey, which is just a retelling in, in song format. And I loved that song when I was like growing up and listening to it. And then I, I actually go and read the Odyssey and you go and see all the references and you gain a new appreciation for it. Um, and that's the, the, the beautiful thing about lyrics. And it it's only as good as you make it to be, right? Because there's a lot of like, let's say Beatles tunes that makes no sense to me. They might make sense, but I have no idea. Like 
she came in through the bathroom window. I don't know what that means, <laughs> right? There's a story behind that. that. that well, there's a story behind it, but I don't know. Like, well, but all of that, all of it. that part of Abbey Road, nonsensical as it may be, is my favorite. It's that that's lyric writing at my most favorite right there. Yeah. Mean I, Mr. I like Mustard, Polythene Pam, all of that stuff. Yeah. It's just all utter nonsense, but it's amazing. And, uh, I love that stuff. I love that stuff. Saying, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite bands is, is PFM from Italy. And, uh, you know, their last album, Emotional Tattoos, you, you guys have probably all heard it, uh, was released both in an English version and an right. Italian version as a double. And I don't speak a word of Italian, but I can listen to either of those with sort of almost equal gratification, I think, because of the way he delivers. And this talks to what John was saying earlier. Um, you can hear every word on a Life Signs album because of Steve Rispin's wonderful production. Um, and I think it's more of a subconscious appeal. The fact is that you can hear the lyrics and you're absorbing them and they therefore have an effect on you. But again, I stamp my feet and I say, no, it's not, it's not. And I'll look at something like a PFM album and I'll say the Italian version is just as good as the English version, but actually it's not. When I can hear the lyrics and understand them and, they, and absorb one of, them. One of, my, one of my all-time favorite lyrics from Neil Peart is from the most obscure Rush song, uh, Anagram from the Presto album, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one, but yeah. it's all lyrics that are just words anagrams words made out of other words and that's the entire song and I, I to me it's the most brilliant thing ever and i wrote down some of them where he says there is tiktok and atomic leaders make a deal these are all amazing yeah. to me he and she are in the house but there's only me at home and <laughs> the, the he spent an entire song writing something like this that yeah, doesn't mean much that. but the skill level of it to me is is dumbfounding i don't i, I don't know how we did it I love those kind of things. And they're funny. I'd, I'd written a few down just from, from things like, um, you know, the cleverness of language and the thing that sort of brings a little smile to your face. Nick talked about, you know, thick as a brick, you know, which we, you know, a song that begins, I really don't mind if you sit this one out, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> what, what an opening line, you know, and, and we're talking about John Wetton. I, I love that line in, um, time and time again you want for nothing but is nothing what you need i mean god that's you know that's mm -hmm. an absolutely brilliant line and there's yeah. the uh what's the the one um the oh yeah that genesis we talked about as well carpet crawl actually you know the tickler takes his stickle back and and all there's that selling in england by the pound where um was it the Tess cooperates and he, he refers yeah, yeah, all the cool. british supermarkets and, safe way home yeah, yeah safe way home. <laughs> you know I, I i love all that stuff but yet i also you know I, I remember talking to an american friend who went what the what what does what does it mean by stickleback and i don't know you guys probably don't stickleback's the name of a little fish and again, and that's the you know that the sort of the and so it's, sometimes it's culturally wasted on on people as well. But I love I love all those little clever things that you can do, and um, that you can do with language there's as also, well. There's also an example of this on Oxavarium Dream Theater. The, the that part yeah. that Mike wrote um, with uh, he has like two words, and the second one links to the next one, and it goes yeah. for a while, and it's pretty it's pretty funny. Fine, um, off the handle on, on with that, care. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, uh, it's been a while since I listened, so I don't remember well. But a point I wanted to bring up is um, how I think that the performance, as, as obvious as it is, uh, as the performance can really bring up the lyrics and, and make it something else, like, and make you even interested in them. Like, as, a, as an example, I'll, I'll bring up Daniel Gildanlo, which was is one of my favorite vocalists and just artists in general. And the stuff we, he does with Pain of Salvation is uh, so, so good. In, in all the albums, and they have like concept albums with B, the way he delivers the lyrics and he, he really goes into the character. There's a song in particular I wanted to bring up, which is actually a Flower Kings song when he was in the band called A Vampire's View, which I have no idea what's about. No idea at all. I never paid attention to it. But the way he says the words, the way it's pronounced, he really goes into that character and I can sing that song word by word. I love it like to death but I have no idea what it means. So, <laughs> well, Nick, uh, Nick, I'm actually surprised you didn't mention uh, another Spock's uh, beard, Neil Morse classic, which is the Great Nothing. Which uh, it's, it's on my list. It's which right lyric, lyrically is is just one of his masterpieces. Yeah. Um, you know, one note, timeless, came out of nowhere, and just the whole story of tr an artist trying to succeed in the record business and and the boys turned down potential. and all of that. Yeah, the boy's got potential, but he'll never have commercial commercial success. There's flies commercial in his success. ointment. Yeah. There's Stuyvesants and liquor on his breath. Just love it. That's amazing. Love it. Yeah. Right. And, and so when it's done in in that way in 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 Prague, for for example, um, that can elevate a song. In in certain instances, that's a long twenty five minute epic with a whole story. And uh, and and for this genre, that works very very well and and okay. can make a song more interesting than that, that love, one particular does. I've I've heard Neil tell the story of that. And this is probably one of the things we were talking about earlier that originally it was, there was cigarettes and liquor on his breath. And he said, no, it's not, that doesn't sound right. You know what? <laughs> so, you know, think, think about it. And it was, you know, Stuyvesants. Yeah. You know, that's some, you know, that makes it from something very ordinary into something that, and I mean, they're, yeah. aren't they European cigarettes? I mean, we're talking about those, but I think they're European cigarettes or not even American cigarettes. So it was like, using that, you know, the, the, the power of one word in context, you know, just makes something sound kind of. But it's, cool. it's funny what you were saying, Jeff, so in terms of, you know, so what does Stuyvesant mean to someone else? Yeah. Really. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, and, I had no idea what it was. It, right, yeah. That's the word I'd never heard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and like to, to the point of like Spock's beard and stuff and Neo's lyrics, which I, I, I think they're generally uh, beautiful. And even in this, um, like most recent times when, or, when he's writing about religion and God and his faith and it's stuff that I can't like let's say 100% relate to I'm Jewish and all that so from, from that alone you can say that I cannot relate 100% but not actually depending on the lyrics to enjoy the music helps me on that way because I think the music is just brilliant and fantastic right uh, and if you go and let's go back to Snow, uh, his the last Spock's album he was with, it's an album that all of us love here at the Prog Report. And it's kind of a marriage of eras, right? It, it, it is about the same thing all of his latest albums are, but it's written in a way where, where there's a story and there's a lot of quirkiness and there's some like beautiful moments. Um, and it, it's, it's an interesting way of marrying things 
uh, you're saying through through analogies and stuff like that and it's a, a lovely album that i can relate a lot more than his recent music but i love all the same right do you, you know, know you what bring a up a good pentacle pantry is i'm still trying to work that out <laughs> no dan you know you bring up a good point because uh when neil was making that shift and was going to start writing more religious influenced music and and that whole kind of thing that he was doing now um i thought i'd have a problem with it because that's sort of my feeling uh, uh, of that music that i had going in and i thought well i'm not gonna get this i'm not gonna be able to relate and it's not you know i don't know how i'm, I'm gonna work with this and musically it's just so moving and so powerful and the, and the unique way that he does do it which is more of a storytelling ver you know relating stories from the bible or different things like that it wasn't what i thought and it actually did not make much of a difference at the end of the day yeah, that's I the thing i was just it's as much a preachy. fan it's like it's not necessarily religious music right it's more of a spiritual thing and everyone can relate to good things everyone can, can relate to wanting a world with more innocence and love and, and you know praise and just uh, good things in general, positive upbringing music. Everyone should relate to that. Yeah. yeah. If I ever have a, I think if I ever have a problem with lyrics, and we we talk about this as well, but it's you know, I think you, everybody can embrace a positive lyric. You know, I suppose irrespective of the standpoint, even if you don't. I mean, again, back to yes, you know, I don't know what John Anderson's talking about most of the time, but you know, you can you can you know you can you can feel it and you can kind of hear what he's getting, even if you don't actually make sense of it. And I think that's you know, but an, and I suppose my point is that a negative, you know, negativity and you know, kind of that you know hatred and that kind of stuff, right. that that to me is is a turn off, even if it's the very very best music that I've ever heard. I and and there are certain things where I go. I, d I just don't really want to listen to that, you know, because it's it's. But not do you not think that I mean, with with John John Anderson, for example, it's almost like a trademark, isn't it? I mean, mm. that's what he does, you know. So you'll fit, you'll get a lyric, you know. I mean, I know he uses things like "In the Morning" and stuff like this, and there's other yes, stuff yeah. that, you know, you'll just go, "It's John Anderson." And I think that the thing that you hinted at there is that it makes you feel good, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. So to an extent, it's not so much about the substance of the lyrics; it's about how you. What they do to your to your brain and how you feel about them, and I think that's the way that, that we tend to approach things. Is also with that positivity in mind. So there's always an element of, even in the darkest ballads, you know, there's always an element of positivity of coming out yeah. the other side. Yeah. But I, I'll I agree with difficult. you. Even sorry, go ahead. Sorry. sorry. No, I, I was just going to say it's quite diff. It must be quite difficult if you have an agenda to an extent, whether it's political, religious, or whatever, to then do that without um you know in a skilled way which you're obviously talking about um but if you you know if you have a political political viewpoint religious viewpoint any any kind of viewpoint to put that into your music is you have to have great skill to be able to do that yeah. and you know tick all the boxes it's very very hard i would imagine yeah and i'll agree with you about like uh, wanting more positive music as that's best for your head and how it works even though i'm wearing an opath shirt which has a lot of dark <laughs> lyrics and, and sad songs and just depressing stuff all the way and that also applies to like stephen wilson and riverside and a lot of the bands that i love uh i think that's when like the lyrics gets a little fuzzy right it's i can sing about something that i don't necessarily agree or that i'm moment that i'm not 
currently living. Um, there's a, a, good, a good example is Haken's uh, virus album. It's about pretty much what we're living in. It was an accident that it happened the way it did. But if you listen to a song like Invasion, uh, man, it, it's mind blowing how much sense that song makes like lyrically. And you go, it's okay, it's the moment that we're living, right? Um, I don't enjoy it because it's beautiful or because it makes me feel better, but it elevates the song because it's true, right? It's something that it's, you feel the way he's singing, you can relate to the lyrics in a different way. So I would say that I agree that I prefer more positive stuff. That's why like I'm a big Flower Kings fan. And when I, I need a, a, a lift up, I just go and listen to, to unfold the future or whatever. But sometimes I wanna just go into the music, not really minding the lyrics and I can live, listen to whatever the stuff I like, the other stuff that I generally listen to. And right. that wouldn't be a main focus, right? So that's why I land right in the middle uh, of this spectrum yeah yeah i think that's where i i sort of am too um well i think we covered a lot of this uh john thank you for uh <laughs> joining us on this and and uh you know hope it wasn't too I, I much I of your time taking you off piece to <laughs> no it's all good I, all all of it is is a great discussion um and again i i just uh, anybody that is that is watching uh please please check out the new life science record altitude it's a, an amazing amazing record uh, and one that you will definitely enjoy. If you follow this podcast and you like what we like, you need to check out that album. And uh, uh, John, where can people get it uh, uh, now? If oh want? yeah. Um, well, it we're pretty much as I said before. We you know we tend to do things ourselves. So for the moment, uh, come to us at lifesciencemusic.co.uk, and we'll be there with open arms to come and uh, come and help you. But uh, it. Probably within the next couple of weeks, the CD will also be on Amazon. So, Great. All right, cool. All right, guys. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you all again uh, soon. And uh, check out parkreport.com for all your news and interviews and uh, more podcasts and everything to come. We'll see you all again soon. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. Thanks, Cheers, everyone. Lovely. Great to meet you all. Hey, everybody. I'm Bye. not sure what it means, Thanks, but it John. sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Nick. Look right, Cheers, John. Yeah. Good, Good seeing time. you. Thanks, John. Thanks, Roy. Cheers. Thanks, John. Bye.